Welcome to From the Ground Up, a podcast about small business funding, entrepreneurship, and current events that influence them. Powered by Tenant Financial Group. Welcome to another edition of From the Ground Up. Along with my co-host, David Martin, my name is Derek Skogsberg, and we thank you for joining us. We have an exciting interview in store for you on this episode. As we've endured the COVID-19 pandemic over the past couple of months, we've discussed its impact on franchise development from the perspective of lenders, franchise brokers, and franchise development professionals. To put it mildly, we've all been impacted, and we'd encourage you to go back and listen to those prior episodes for the details. Today, we've decided to take one step back from those that are in the quote-unquote trenches and put this pandemic in some historical perspective. Our guest today is Jim Amos. He simply doesn't need much introduction to those of us in the franchise industry. He's a hero of mine and an icon in the industry and a true leader among leaders. Jim, welcome to From the Ground Up, and thank you for taking the time to add so much needed perspective to all of this. Wow, that was amazing. I can hardly wait to hear what I have to say. (laughs) Listen, thanks. It's an honor and privilege to be here, and congratulations to both of you for the success Uh, from the ground up. That's really terrific. Thanks, Jim. Uh, For those of you that are listening and might not know who Jim Amos is, could you give us some brief background on on you, Jim? Certainly. I have been an old franchising hack. I've been hanging around the franchising world for over 30 years, about 24 years as a CEO. I'm the former CEO of Mailboxes, etc., which is now the UPS store. In 2011, I was inducted into the International Franchising Hall of Fame. In 2012, the recipient of the Nashville Business Legend Award, I orchestrated the sale of mailboxes, etc., to UPS, and we had become the world's largest and fastest growing franchisor of retail business, communication, and postal service centers. And at the time I sold the company, we were doing about $1.6 billion in sales, And we were the largest non-food franchise in the world, and we had about 15 straight years of double-digit same-store sales, which I think was a record at the time. Since then, I've been running around trying to find out what I want to do when I grow up, and I'm (laughs) clueless, which should really be encouraging to anybody listening in. (laughs) And honest. I like it. I like it. Well, as I alluded to in my monologue, Jim, uh, you've had a huge impact on me and all that I've accomplished over the past two decades in franchise development. The truth is we've never sat down until today to discuss any of it. So for those of you that don't know, I started the first comprehensive financing company for the franchise industry called FranFund back in the early 2000s. The central piece of research that I used in assembling my business plan at the time was uh, the economic impact study of franchise businesses. And that study was authored by the International Franchise Association. That really helped me understand the size and scope of the franchise industry. Jim, can you give us kind of a history of that study and why it was so important at the time and even today for the franchise industry to conduct such a study? Well, I certainly can. By the way, congratulations on FranFund, which was desperately needed at the time and was a precursor to many companies that came along following in your footsteps trying to assist the franchising industry as well. And at the time, the impact, this study, or this was commissioned by IFA, 
We needed a lot of information, a lot more information than we had with metrics and details in order to influence the folks on Capitol Hill for our political action endeavors. And so we did take a huge portion of our annual budget at the time, it's very different today, but dedicated to this study because we thought that it would really make a difference. And of course, as you just alluded to, it has. That study was conducted by Price Waterhouse Coopers, and we published the first one in 2004. And really, the findings were astounding. It was titled, as you said, The Economic Impact of Franchise Businesses in the United States. And it found that franchises provided close to 10 million jobs with $229 billion in payroll, operated almost a million franchise business units. But the impact of the franchise business, it showed, goes much further than that. Because franchisees stimulate the rest of the economy with their mighty purchasing power and awesome output. They generate $1.53 trillion of economic output, which is greater than the gross domestic product of China. Pretty astounding. When we drill that type of study down into the congressional districts across the country, it gets the attention of legislators who find out that there's a lot of folks voting out there that have amazing influence with this economic power behind them. So it was a really big deal then. It's a really big deal now, actually. Jim, what was your proudest legislative accomplishment that was born out of that effort? It's hard for me to look at those things personally because there's so many people involved with with IFA. Even this study was a result of the executive committee and the board and a lot of influential players being willing to support it and move forward and dedicate resources that were much more scarce at that time than they are today. But it may be that this historically was the single most important thing that we've done because of what I just talked about. It opened doors on Capitol Hill for us and it enabled us to have access at the federal and state level that we just didn't have historically. And so as a continuing issue, I just think it was terrific. Now, I don't know about legislation, but I think one of the things I'm most proud of was being a part of including franchisees in the International Franchise Association so that it wasn't just about franchisors. Today, it's about three forums of vendors, franchisees, and franchisors that make up IFA, which is representative of what I believe is business format franchising is the single greatest part of our economy. And I love it because of the impact it has on small business owners. And it begins with a dream in the heart of individuals to better themselves. It's just a fantastic, I call it an elegant economic model. I love it. Yeah, I completely agree and can echo a lot of what you said. I've seen so much positive impact for the thousands of people that we've capitalized over the years that started their own franchise businesses. It's huge. It's just massive. Let's dive in and segue here a little bit, Jim, and dive into the current issue that's facing all of us in the franchise industry and throughout the economy. There's no question that the impact of COVID-19 has been enormous. It's largely had a negative impact to date, but I can already sense that tide's turning and doing so rather dramatically. Jim, can you put this economic slowdown in some perspective for us? I know this you know, isn't the first market cycle you've been through. So how does this compare to other situations? And going forward, what should we expect? 
That's a great question, and it's really a function, or the response is largely about leadership. And you're right. You've gone through the same thing. I've been around a long time. I've been around so long, I'm amazed anybody is interested in anything that I have to say. I went through, as you did, the internet bubble in the 2000, and the astounding escape that took place after that, after these really irrationally exuberant values were placed on companies and businesses. And it was a struggle to respond to that. And then I was, while I was CEO at uh, Mailboxes, chairman of the International Franchise Association when 9-11 took place, which uh, was also (laughs) an incredibly uh, difficult time. And then again, when the economy cratered in 2008, I remember sitting on conference calls with Sequoia Capital and many others who were simply saying, this is the end. We will not survive this. You guys, you need to take measures now because the sky is falling chicken little. And you hear a lot of that today. But the reality is, as I learned after two tours in Vietnam, you know, if you got breath, you got another day. You can weather the storm. You just have to be committed. And you have to have, frankly, the grit to stick it out. I just would encourage people to understand there's an old Hebrew saying, it's gamze yavor, and it means these things too shall pass. And they will. And if we can keep the people from fear-mongering and those with personal political interests from driving a negative narrative out there, we're going to be just fine. This is about leadership. It's about, it's about faith in its many forms. It's about taking advantage of those things that are available to us in franchising and other places. It's about doing things in the C-suite that makes a great deal of sense as you come out of all of this. And I think the number one priority, obviously, is to keep people safe, preserve your cash, you make permanent cost reductions, both in the short term and the long term, and then you build a specific plan to re-emerge and reopen and execute against it. And while you're doing it, you have to give purpose to your staff. You have multiple levels of customers here, but you have to give people excitement and vision. You do the things that you should be doing in a leadership role all of the time anyway. To that, I would add something that maybe is not politically correct today, but I'd encourage everybody to remember, you know, to be born in America is to win life's lottery. America is an idea. It's the laboratory of freedom. And to be able to come here or be born here is an absolute gift. And we're going to fight our way out of this and come out just fine on the other side. Amazing. I love that quote. I'm writing that down. That's such a great, a great piece of perspective. We tend to lose our perspective. And talking about perspective, on one of the blogs on your website, you talk about trials in this life and how we shouldn't lose faith. Obviously, I know you're a believer as we are. How has faith played a role in your overall career? There's just simply nothing more important than faith in my mind. And this means that you're confronting the age-old conflict between science and myth. You hear that being played out right now when people are discussing the proper approaches to COVID. But here's the reality. All of the things we just talked about going through you have to have faith for. And it's not a question of whether you have faith or not. You've got it. 
Everybody has faith in something. The question is, what is the object of their faith? Is it worthy of faith or not? And so you have to question yourself all the time. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? And I have news for you. If you're trusting yourself to come up with every answer and see your way through, you might be disappointed along the way. For me, I learned from my family that faith in God was paramount. And in the study I've done through the years on leadership, I find that every leader, every leader had a similar place they landed. There's an old saying, David, that there are no atheists in foxholes. And that's absolutely the truth, because when the shit hits the fan, everybody finds out where their faith is or not. You'll find you've got it in something and you'll act on it. And hopefully you've put your faith in the right place. I'm sorry. I probably wasn't supposed to say that. No. I know. No. And that just... word fan can be really offensive. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Keep offending. That doesn't bother us at all. That's <laughs> <Okay>. right. <laughs> I love it. We need more faith in everything that's gone on in this society from top to bottom. So I, I really do appreciate your, your words of, of strength along those lines, Jim. Listen, on a personal note, in September, I lost my wife of 53 years who I took out on her first date when she was 14 and I was 15. She has been my partner. All of these things you're talking about, she stood right by my side. And truth be known, she was as much, if not more responsible for any of the results than I was. And I can tell you, when you talk about the things that we just discussed, are you face these kinds of loss in life, you are confronted immediately by what you believe and what you don't believe and where your faith is. There is no way to fight your way out. There's no way to manipulate your way out. There's no way to lie your way out. There's no way to deceive your way out. You can only trust to get on the other side. And so that's why I I'm such a big believer in faith. If you're going to lead, you got to have a strong ethical base and a positive belief in people and a compelling vision. And I'm telling you as a leader, if you don't have faith, how are you going to transmit that to other people? And who's going to choose to follow somebody that's a mess in what they believe and don't know where they're going? Everything begins with who are we, where are we now, and where are we going? And you better have that message to tell people if you expect anybody to follow. Absolutely. There's a lot of strength in faith. There's a lot of strength in franchising. And I want to I want to touch on that a little bit in terms of collaboration, Jim. You know, like I said, one of the strengths of franchise industry is the sense of collaboration we all feel. We go to the IFA conventions or local, regional, even national meetings, and we're all there collaboratively, regardless of our walk of life. And there's no question that we, to a greater or lesser degree, work together and share ideas in this industry. That collaboration has always been allowed in franchising and in and it's always led, franchising has always led the economy out of downturns. Can you talk to us about how and why professionals in this industry collaborate and what that means economically? Well, you're speaking to the heart and soul of franchising. And it's always been a community. I just spoke about my wife and our daughters. We've grown up in this industry and these people, I've watched their children grow up. We've built the industry and the businesses together. And when you talk about being amazed about the collaboration, it's also their willingness to share everything they know, all the best practices to help even their competitors 
in the marketplace, which is really the way it should be. And the heart and soul of franchising is relationships. That's everything because there are no relationships that can survive a loss of trust. So I look at trust as the master value and I realize that if you're going to keep these relationships right and good between franchisors and franchisees, if you're going to keep your marriage healthy, if you're going to keep anything healthy, it's built on relationships and you have to look at the world in a different way. A few years ago, I was invited to Yale University to attend a conference that they entitled Practical Wisdom. They invited leaders from all over the world, actually. I think it was about 60 countries that were there. And for three days, we discussed such thing as where is wisdom found? What is wise decision-making? What is wise leadership? And after all of that time, all of these different cultures and background and faiths and beliefs, all landed at the same place. We decided leadership is about trust and any relationship built on anything else is going to fail. So practical wisdom is about how to manage relationships. That is so powerful to know and understand. You have to not only lead, but lead the right way. That means that you're not manipulating and deceiving people. You realize that Success, whether it's as a country or a business or whatever it happens to be, is not built on power. You don't win anything through power. You win it through good values and caring and love of other people and serving them in a way that's to their benefit, not yours. It's You're just coming from a different place. Totally resonates with us and everything that we've seen through our experience with the franchising industry. One of the last questions that we wanted to talk to you about, obviously, clearly, this morning's podcast has been a demonstration in attitude and how positive attitude can impact you. If you don't mind, how important is one's attitude in charting the course for the future, Jim? As we look across everything that's going on, send us some closing words around that idea. <laughs> well, if you don't mind me being completely egocentric, I'm going to hold up one of my books. There you go. I like it which is Focus or Failure, America at the Crossroads. I'll just read to you something I wrote in there on attitude. When I first wrote about this fundamental of attitude, life had taught me that there were three components to attitude, thinking, feeling, and acting. Attitude's a choice. It's the fundamental upon which all of the basics of life rest. Our attitude is the greatest asset or the biggest liability that we have and life wears the color of our attitude. So first and foremost, there's all these trite saying, your attitude will determine your altitude. Your disposition will determine your position. Life does wear the color of our attitude. And if you stop and think about it, who wants to be around negative thinking, despondent losers? Who wants to be around that? That doesn't inspire anybody. Being a reductionist, meaning through the years I kept getting overwhelmed with responsibilities, particularly as a CEO, I finally said, look, I need to boil this stuff down to just a few things that I can act on. Other people can do the rest. And for me, that was number one resource allocation. I felt it was my responsibility to decide where the bullets, bandages, and beans were going. 
And then it was people selection because I knew I couldn't get anywhere without the right people. And you talk about relationships and communal acting earlier, the old story of the turtle on a stump. When you're walking through the woods and you see a turtle on the stump, one thing you know for sure is it didn't get there by itself. You gotta choose the right people. And then vision casting. Now you have to have a dream and you have to keep it out there in front of folks that drive the strategy and tactical application of the business. And lastly, be a purveyor of hope. People need hope. They need hope. Another little piece from that same book, but on the chapter on leadership. I'm just reading here. I listened to controversy among our national leaders and their apparent inability to define what they believe, inspire people to follow and take them there. A leader can't be neutral morally and spiritually and maintain integrity and wisdom. The transformational leader knows exactly where he stands. Winston Churchill arguably the greatest leader in modern history, said, what's the use of living if not to strive for noble causes and to make this muddled world a better place to live after we're gone? Appeasement and neutrality are not strategies. Attitude is everything. It's just that simple. It's everything. Derek, any thoughts on that? I'm just kind of sitting back, taking it all in and honestly taking some notes. I mean, CEO of of an organization that has uh, employees in 11 states and operations in four. I mean, there's just a lot that I've been able to take away from the past, give or take 30 minutes together, Jim. So I just really appreciate you taking the time to to share your thoughts. And it's impactful and, and it's meaningful, and especially so in the current environment, kind of where things are right now. There's a lot of unemployment. There's a lot of unknowns out there. There's a lot of people with questions as to where things are headed, as you alluded to earlier. And I think that this discussion on leadership and attitude and everything is is very, very important and, and very timely. Well, thank you very much for that. It's such an honor to be able to share and share what I think I've learned, what God has taught me all of these years. Jim, tell us what's going on in your life. You mentioned the book. What are some resources that you want to share with our audience about some of the tools that you mentioned? We would love to be able to promote that and tell others about ways they can learn from your experience. Well, I will tell you this. Everyone that aspires to leadership of any kind or to have an impact anywhere needs to decide they're going to be a lifelong learner. That means you have to read. All leaders are readers and all readers lead. All teachers are readers and all readers teach. If you don't have something to say to someone, what's the point? And unless you're learning, you're not going to know anything. So I do what I've done all of my life. I'm sitting in the middle of my library here that has about 500 books in it. There's 300 over here signed by the authors. When Mickey died, I went to my Bible. I went to the books. I read and read and learned and learned and learned from other people who also have faced those kinds of challenges. And I'm just telling you, read and seek people who have walked a path that you haven't walked yet and find out from them what they learned. So what I'm doing, I sit on, I think, six or seven boards. That's what I do mostly. I've tried to retire three times, and I'm horribly unsuccessful at that. I really enjoy that work. I'm writing my fifth book now. I'm amazed at my lack of discipline. I'm troubling with staying focused, but I need to stay focused and continue to write and hopefully have something else to share that will make a difference. 
Awesome. So is there a website that if anybody wants to learn more about you or buy your books that they could go to? Well, they go to my blog, which is simple. It's just jimamosblog.com. And all the books are there. And a lot of the writing I've done is there through the years. And I'd be honored if they choose to do so. Well, Jim, again, it's been a pleasure and an honor to get to talk to you and get to share some of your wisdom with our audience and hear firsthand of some of your experiences through challenging times. To our audience, we're so excited about you joining us today and getting a chance to hear what Jim is, his career and how he's been a true pioneer in the industry. We obviously, as always on our podcast, we want to invite you to dialogue with us. Tell us about what you want to hear. What are some topics that you'd like us to cover and talk about? You can find us on all of the major podcasting platforms, Spotify, Google, and Apple. And it's from the ground up podcast. You can also learn more about Tenant Financial Group at tenantfinancialgroup.com. Tenant Financial Group's mission is to help people make good sound decisions. And that's our total mission as far as educating people. And that's one of the main missions of this podcast and sharing wisdom that we've learned as well as the guests that we have able to bring on to the show. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate your time and we look forward to putting another episode together for you later. And we'll talk to you then. Thanks a lot, guys. Keep up the great work. God bless.